language is very much capable because or if the body follows it, right? Like, isn't that, isn't that the commitment or promise we're making is that the language I'm showing you is in some way the promise of my body arriving to, to be in conversation with you. This is Thresholds, a series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new. And the way that experience changed everything they made afterward. I'm Jordan Kistner. This is Thresholds. Something to note about this season of Thresholds is that all of the audio recordings you're going to hear were made in people's homes, often on their cell phones, in order to keep us all socially distant. And what that means is that occasionally you'll hear a slightly diminished sound quality or random life things happening in the background, a car backfiring, a phone ringing, a dog walking into the room, my dog walking into the room. Um, and we hope that you will be generous and bear with us on that. The, the one thing, though, is I have uh, two African gray parrots and they, they're kind of screechy. They're my, they were my partners. I inherited them and they do not like me. So when they hear me like talking with some sort of passion or joy, they're just like, they start like saying things and being brats. Hey, everybody. Uh, coming at you one last time, I'm realizing from this little sort of like blanketed closet where I've been recording all of the intros and interviews for Threshold since we started back in March. Um, and it's the last time because next week I'm going to be picking up and packing up and journeying across the country, moving west for a little while, um, which is exciting. And actually, everybody on the Thresholds team, like all of the Thresholds um, crew, are in the middle of moving house right now. Uh, so we're all we're all in a little bit of transition or about to be. And so we're taking a break after this episode for a couple weeks to kind of get our lives back in order and complete those moves and we'll be returning. Um, this is the end of season two, but we are going to be returning for season three later this fall and we're already making big plans and big dreams for that. So that's, um, that's exciting. And I'm thrilled that today we get to kind of wrap things up for season two with the poet Natalie Diaz. Um, who I've been wanting to talk to for so long. And so it just like was personally really exciting to get to talk to her for today. And then it turned into this conversation that I think is a really perfect wrap up for season two and gives us a lot to kind of, you know, fly forward into the break and into season three with. Natalie is a, is a Mojave poet. Um, she is most recently the author of Post-Colonial Love Poem. Um, which I love so much, and which is currently a National Book Award finalist, very deservedly so. Um, and before that, she was the author of the collection When My Brother Was an Aztec. Um, and then as of earlier this year, she's the founder of the Center for Imagination in the Borderlands at Arizona State University, where she teaches. And they're doing really, really cool work there. Um, so I invite you to check that out. And then the last thing I'll say about Natalie, uh, by way of context for this conversation, is that before she was, um, before she had a career as a poet uh, and as a word maker, she played professional basketball, um, and so she comes 
not just as a poet, but as an athlete, which was a really interesting. I think she's the first athlete we've had on the podcast. Um, and she came by to talk not just about one threshold, um, but to kind of dive into what we mean when we say the word threshold or when we talk about spiritual or creative thresholds. She wanted to talk about language as a threshold between us and the world or between us and other people, and also the body and touch um, as a threshold between ourselves and other people. And she asks some really amazing questions about how we can try to think backward or feel backward um, about thresholds or in thresholds, uh, which kind of blew my mind and I expect will blow yours too. Um, I was really personally grateful for this conversation and uh, hope that it graces you um, in your coming weeks just like it graced me. I think we, the way we treat threshold in some ways is imagining that uh, it's a once thing and it's a major thing. Whereas I think the ways I've always thought about it is that there, it's very recurring and it's uh, like a perpetual thing. Um, yeah, and so just like thinking of the meanings and the idea of the door, like that it's in some ways the foundation for the door. So in some ways, like the origin of entering. And, and I think a lot about that, about like where that word came from, but also about the idea of, of the house. Whereas in Mojave, um, we used to burn our houses when somebody passed, when someone moved on to the next place. So already we have a very different idea about what should stay or what is, what is the natural condition of, of new origins. You know, when someone passes away, we used to burn their house and then who was left of the family would start again. And it was a very normal kind of thing. And so I think that that is already something that has kind of made me think very differently about about what it means to to cross a threshold. And so in some ways, I don't think necessarily of the crossing as being completely brand new. I think I am wondering a lot always in my work and when I think about language and the ways I try to live through my hours and days is that a threshold in some way is also going to be a return. You know, maybe now, maybe some other time. And having been an athlete most of my life, I've pushed my body to extreme limits where the body continuing to go was in some ways like, yes, you crossed a threshold, but it's a threshold that has been happening the whole time. You know, so where where is the momentum of the threshold, I guess, is one way that I've I've kind of encountered and experienced that. And so imagining like, okay, like, and being able to kind of sense when we're up against some sort of limitation, you know, and whether that is like, you can sense it emotionally. Sometimes you physically sense it in your body, either through strain or sometimes just, you know, not necessarily the senses, but those sensualities that, that you, you might never understand, you know, something like for me, for me, I, hold a lot of things in my forearms and my wrists. And so there's a way that I'm sensing that I'm pushing up against something. And a lot of times it might be my own imagination, like that I'm, I'm not letting myself imagine something or I'm not creating the space for something 
to exist yet, you know, in, in the kind of the intimate space of, of my imagination. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm clearly I'm kind of all over the place with this, but it, it's been so exciting for me to think about it, um, you know, and to, to try to figure out, like, I'm not giving necessarily an exact list of things, but I think in, in many ways, having been an athlete, like I've hit the threshold so many times. I'm not an athlete. Can you describe for me what that's like? I'm struggling to, to imagine that in a really tangible way, the feeling of hitting or crossing or being in the threshold with your body in that way. Yeah. So I also have really bad anxiety and I, I feel like these things are connected. Um, and I, that anxiety is a, comes across as a sense of doom for me. And it's, it's almost as if, uh, and I've tried hard to write toward this, but you know, I, really, I, I really can imagine the boundaries of a single second. And I, it's that uh, my anxiety makes time that expansive, you know, that I can bear, that I'm not sure I can make it to the next second or to the next minute. And in some ways, that is also a physicality that I've experienced on the basketball court, where it's almost a state of crisis unless you can reorganize it, right? And I think that's a way that I've tried to, and that's maybe some of the ways I'm trying to relate to the idea of the threshold is that, is that you know you can't stop because I can't imagine what stopping is, you know, like even when in my worst anxieties, I don't know what might be on the other side of stopping. And, and like the dark side of that is like, you know, things like suicide or, or when people have like, you know, self-harm is somehow a release to them. But, but because of the ways I think I've related to my body as an athlete, I, I, those are things I can't imagine. And so there's just a, there's almost like stepping outside of time, which is interesting because maybe that is a threshold that you cross. Like you have to cross over the threshold of time so that you can somehow exist in that, uh, in that tension or in that extreme, I guess it's even, you know, panic or, or chaos, or maybe it's just, maybe it's even ecstatic, you know, um, like anxiety, I think is ecstatic uh, being pushed to the limit. So for example, in terms of my body, like there have been times when, when I know I, my body can't go anymore and yet it is. And, and so that's not a real time. I think like I've learned to measure time with my body, but, but that's something that exists outside of me. And so in some ways, I think there's, there's an entire like field of the ecstatic that is happening perpetually or at the same time I am, even if I haven't been taught to access it or have been dislocated from it, you know? So that idea that those things are, are either holy or they're somehow like extremely negative, you know? So we've kind of pushed them uh, at such, you know, polar opposites, but, but really I think they're both accessible at the same time and, and they often happen at the same time, it, at least in my experience of trying to relate to that. Yeah, I relate to that in every possible way. I also have um, anxiety that has been at different parts of my life really, really extreme and felt really debilitating. And I know that feeling of like 
having to slow down your or being forced to slow down your idea of what a livable increment is, where you're no longer able to think on the scale of a day, but it's about like, okay, I'm going to get through the next hour or, okay, I'm going to get through the next minute. And then eventually it's like, I'm just going to go three seconds at a time. And that is a really compelling and in a way ecstatic experience of being in the body. It's it's being an extremist in a way that also, in a funny way, I I like looped back around when I, I have fallen in love in certain ways that have felt like that too. And that was one of the first things that I wanted to write about. Actually, some of the earliest things that I was working on in this in this body of material was like, why did it feel like that kind of um, I often think of it as like spinning or or just be you know the being trapped in the state of being in this way that feels so fast and so endless um, recurs not just in spaces where I feel like I might be dying, but also at the height of love or at the height of joy or at the height of religious experience um, and that they all are wind, wind up being kind of located in things like your forearms, you know. Um, it's amazing to me that that's, that that's the language you, you chose because that just feels really personal to me too. Yeah. And I think that's actually our natural state, right? Like, like there's an idea that has been occurring to me or that I'm trying to situate myself in is, is, um, I mean, and this, this seems easy for natives, right? Like, oh yeah, like human life, non-human life, it's all connected, but it's very, <laughs> you know, it, it, because they're like, oh, like that's your traditional native, like she's smoking <laughs> a peace pipe and these, you know, she's like connected to everything. And, but it's very hard to, for me to practice some of the ways that I have been taught. So in some ways, the language of how things are, I'm catching up to. Because uh, the world that I live in is so different from my elders' world. And so I think for me, like one of the things that has been, I mean, you said it feels like dying. There's, there's a way that I think, I've been talking with a friend about this who's also a long distance runner. So. Um, but the idea that victory is very close to dying, you know, and, and so to imagine those, I mean, otherwise we wouldn't call it victory, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't satisfy us in that way unless it had us close to a brink. Um, but I, I think the brink is actually not a brink. I think the brink is like this cyclical kind of origin, but it, it's difficult for me to try to place myself not in the center. We've been taught that the thing is too big in me. So like we say overwhelming as if it started inside of us and like came around us. And lately it's easier for me to realize the overwhelm is outside and I'm not expected to hold it in me because I'm actually a part of the overwhelm. And, and I think that's like the body as threshold maybe is a way that I can kind of relate to, to like some of what you're saying. And I think that like some of what you were talking about is like one of the ways I've come to that is that some of this like energy, some of the shit doesn't need my participation. <laughs> you know, like I, I've really been taught, like I should be participating in my anxiety and, and there's nothing I can do. And so what if 
I just let it happen. I, I think that's a lot of what like sexual desire is, you know, I mean, you have to act, but, but there's a way that I don't have to put my mental, you know, my mind's eye, so to speak in, in the center of it. And so trying to kind of return to that state of like what it means to, to like river or be in the river. And, and so to try to like put myself in that place that says, this thing is, that's the bird that's barking. I don't know if you heard it. Um, I did. Yeah. It really does sound like a dog barking. It's our neighbor's dog. It's like a little tiny puppy. And what's interesting is that, the, so the neighbors on the other side of the house, our birds are in the corner. And so the barking that they replicate is muffled the same way they hear it. It's unbelievable. Like they're, they're like, uh, yeah, speaking of like threshold, you're like, oh, that, like what is language? You know, what is sound? Um, and there's something about the, a question of the ego also, you know, like where does the ego situate in those moments? And, and can I somehow uh, like step outside the ego or imagine that the ego is happening on the outside, you know? And so, yeah, I, I think some of that is, is a real just like body threshold in these moments of crises or when I'm having like kind of spinning with anxiety or even in moments when, you know, I've been pushed to like extremes on the basketball court or training, there's a way that I couldn't stay there in the center. Like I had to let whatever this energy is I'm made of take over. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, uh, like you were talking about like love. Um, I mean, and, and like maybe the relationship between like desire or being in love and like how that can relate to something so small as like touch, you know? And like, to, so to think some, in some ways, not about the threshold as like the point of touch, but the, like the interstice, which is not touch. And how, like, how do those define what we experience of a threshold? You know, because we're so focused on this is what I'm feeling. This is how, this is what it means. This is how I should move or move through it. Or this is how I'm unable to move through it. And I'm wondering, like, if we just could somehow move sideways or step out of time or body, which is why the ecstatic is so interesting to me, or like ideas of, of victory like what's happening out there, you know, instead of trying to imagine we're taking everything in through the body. Cause in, in, in that way, I guess I don't, I don't trust a lot the body as being the threshold for sensuality. Um, you know, it, it, it is, it is one sensuality of this entire world, right? Like the human body. And in some ways it's not that great compared to some of the other things that, you know, that are made out there and that are living and doing and, yeah, like trees and stuff. And then here we are with sneakers on, you know. What do you imagine it is would be like to step sideways or to be focusing on what is not touch, that kind of alternate decentralized way of thinking about those times? I think that is actually where the experience is happening, right? You know, so, so touch is not itself, but it's what's right outside of it. You know, the hand is not the hand. The hand is a space between your fingers. Suddenly that's what makes a hand. And so, and, I, and that's what I mean by it's, 
it's really hard for me to try to find the entryways to those things to say that um, I am happening within this happening. And, and can I possibly um, consider myself as like one imagining of what's happening right now? And it, it, what's tough is that it, there are no real like concrete examples, except I think it for me, because language is like my tool um, and also like the ways I've learned certain physicalities because I was an, an athlete for most of my life is that like those have to be the ways I try to step outside, you know? And so, and this is like, this might not be a, a perfect example, but in Mojave, it's not uncommon to talk to someone and have them hold you here. Like my on mom. On the wrist. On the wrist. Um, when you're visiting, a lot of like holding your hand, uh, but squeezing, not just like kind of just sitting there, but like like to squeeze and to hold. And so in some ways, like that might seem like a focusing on the body, but to me, that's, that's like a dislocation of one body to the, to the next. And there's a way that that becomes one of the ways you're talking. And so, you know, you can be, you can be sitting there and it's the same thing. We, we do shoulders. So it's like shaking hands is not the common thing for etiquette. We can shake hands, of course, but it's like to set your hands on someone's shoulders, just to set them there. And so suddenly now language is very different. Like once you feel that pressure on your shoulders, like what does the body mean when you're talking to someone and the shoulders are what are present, you know? And so in some ways, like to step outside to me, isn't necessarily, um, you know, to like open the door and close it, but it, it's simply to like reorganize some of that energy. And so what the center is, it maybe unravels or it unfolds, or maybe it's many things at once. Um, yeah, and it's, I think it's naturally confusing and tense. And that's, I think, when like creativity is a tension, desire is an extreme tension, the same way I think that touch is a tension. You know, like it's actually the relief that lets you know it was a touch in some way. Maybe, maybe. This is all maybe. To what extent do you feel like for you, language and poetry is a means of shifting the energy in that way you describe? I definitely believe in like the power of language, right? And the power of, of poetry. And I think it is, it's one of, poetry is one of many ways of language. And it's one of many ways I think of sensuality and the body. I, I do struggle a little bit with the the ways that I think we pretend poetry is not a natural condition. Um, I, I, there's been a lot of like conversation that like poetry is not a luxury. And I think originally, no, it wasn't, but right now I think it definitely is. Like we call it poetry. There, there are ways that my elders speak and practice their lives that would be poetry in any other place, except they've never heard of that. You know, like that's their natural condition, which is intentionality, which is uh, an appreciation for the body because of what it does in relationship to the land. Like to, to wake up and think, like it's kind of amazing to wake up and think like, so if we look north from where I'm at, so out my front door, 
our creation mountain is there. You can see it. And to imagine, like to wake up in the morning and be like, my body was made there from this earth I'm walking on. Like, so suddenly the, your body is very different and how your body is kind of relating. And the way we were taught is that, you know, language is just one energy of the body. It's, it's one way of, of imagining the body being carried to another body, uh, but it's not the body and the stakes. It doesn't mean the stakes aren't high and the stakes can't affect the body. But yeah, I think language is very much capable because or if the body follows it, right? Like, isn't that, isn't that the commitment or promise we're making is that the language I'm showing you is in some way the promise of my body arriving to, to be in conversation with you, right? Like somewhere, uh, somewhere our, our bodies are affecting one another. Like we three sitting here in this room. And in, in some ways, this is no different than if we were in person because our language is still happening like in a different kind of physicality. Um, and, and so I think as well, like coming from a place that where the, our language is a dying language or it's been called the dying language, like once you put that tag on things, it really changes. Um, it, it changes what is language for you. And also having worked with my elders and watching, watching them come to realizations about what might never be recovered or what might be lost forever. Um, or not having, not having the language to offer when they know that that's the only way they can carry some of the bodies from before to our younger people. You know, I guess I have a really complicated relationship right now, and I feel like that's also, um, it's been compounded during this time, you know, where I've had time to, to return to my private practice of language. So in some ways, the, the language that's most important to me right now, you know, I have a book out, I have these things happening, and that's actually not the language that's most important to me. It's the language my partner and I have together. Like, how do we build a language right now so that we can both walk out of the house and exist? Like, what does that mean? Um, and in some ways, that, that is poetry, right? That's the practice of poetry or the way I've imagined the practice of poetry, you know, you know in the same ways that you're so like not careful, but like intentional about language, right? To, to be able to imagine it as a body that you're touching as you're working on it or writing it. And then to also know that the different like flesh bodies it connects you to. Um, yeah, that was a messy answer, but you know, I, I guess I think language and poetry have a lot of capability and possibility and it's also, I think, sometimes disappointing to see, um, yeah, what we do with it. Or, yeah, we draw so many lines around it. And I mean, I think the fact that this is crazy, right? But the fact that we would just call it poetry and, and we pretend it's the font that's on the page, like that is the poetry and it's the least of it, right? No, it's like the the written word, whatever the manifestation of the written word is, whether it's the collection you have out now or the poem that shows up on Instagram or whatever is like a, a glint of the thing that became the words. 
that became that language that is then reaching someone else. At which point it becomes to me like pretty fucking stunning the what it can do as to me as a reader, right? Like given how fractional it is as a as a representation of maybe everything it was as a gesture or as a lived experience or as an as a embodied thing. And what if we thought about it backward? Like that's like we think about it forward all the time. Like so even if we're like, oh, I'm gonna treat this as an, you know, autobiographical account of this writer, whether it is or not, you know. But what if we thought of it as a a trace versus the telling? So like I don't know, there's I mean like thinking so if like by the time I arrive to your work, I'm like, oh, this is only a small trace of what of what it is or what is happening. Whereas we tend to treat like this as the whole thing and what's behind it, the the kind of like the wake or like the, you know, fading jet wash or something. Do you write when you're anxious to shift your anxious energy, whatever that feeling is? I, I think I can, you know, I, I think the hard part is that when I'm actually in the state where I'm like, I am anxious, there's not, I'm kind of like in that very narrow room. There's not too much to be doing. Yeah, it's, and if I can, again, like try to reorganize it, and language is one of the ways, like, so kind of like physical activity helps or, um, you know, or trying to just like rename a thing. Um, those tend to help, but it's not necessarily like a driving force. I, I do think it's the same energy and same imagination. It, and maybe that's the true power of the word, right? Like to say anxiety suddenly takes away all its imagination or it's, it's pretending anxiety is the thing with the imagination. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've started writing a lot more about it. Like the second book is very much engaged with anxiety. I've had it since I was little. I don't sleep a lot. Um, yeah. And it was kind of the first time where I let, I let it exist as itself or with a name or, um, with other names, I think. What drove that decision or was it not a decision? Maybe to frame, maybe to use that descriptor isn't right. Yeah, I think some of what's connected to it is is also moving toward this idea of of desire, like what is desire? And for me to like I guess it was definitely within the space of of writing or poetry or poeming that I began to connect even more anxiety and desire. And some of that was also like a way of like, I think desire is not just saying I desire something, but it's the acknowledgement that I'm capable of desire and that I'm deserving of it. Um, and I, I, I've talked about that a lot just in relationship to like my quote identities or who I am seen as, or sometimes, you know, um, state myself as, but I think just generally, like as a human being, like what terrible things we are, like we're capable of really incredible things. And we're also kind of a terrible being, you know, like even, even the, the ways that we can like carry ourselves with anxiety, that's pretty frightening. Like it, that is like uh, a kind of like awesome, um, awful, awesome, like etymologically being that we are like energy that we are. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they are connected and it was just that, that idea that I was kind of demanding demanding desire on, on many levels that that anxiety was just there because it 
it didn't have to appear as something negative. It could also be a part of this energy. And so some of that was unpeeling desire from the word itself and seeing it as these kind of uh, these planes that are happening at the same time, but also very differently. Um, yeah. There's something about the way you just talked about desire and anxiety as different planes of energy, different planes of the same kind of energy that to me feels revelatory just for myself, just for like my own relationship to my anxiety, in part because I think one of the reasons, one of the things you were just touching on is writing about desire as a willingness to express your full being in the world in some way. Um, That in order to say, I am, you also have to kind of like account for and own like your desires and your your hungers and like all the I want that is part of I am. And for some reason that like pinged my brain because something that I started doing with language when I was as like a coping mechanism for the days that felt like really, really, really anxious was just starting to say over and over, like as my mantra for the day, like I am. I walk, like stepping down with the left foot, say I, stepping down with the right foot, say am, I am. As this kind of reminder of like, there is nothing, it is again, maybe a sort of decentralizing, like what you were talking about of like, there is, Nothing, all of my churning, I can churn or I can not churn. Either way, I am and the world is around me. And like, it's kind of as simple as, and I am the world, you know, like there's not necessarily such a distinction between the world around me and me. And I I simply am in it. Um, And I think that thinking of something about what you said about like the plane of plane of desire and the plane of anxiety being different manifestations of the same thing made me think about the I am and the I want. Yeah. And want is such an interesting thing. Like even, even grammatically that those statements are, are quite strange, right? Like I want, and to think of that like directionally, like at once it's, at once it's like pretending to go this way, right? Like it's pretending to like go out like I want. And so suddenly there's a way that we're just imagining the physicality of being like, meaning it's away from you. But like the I want is almost like I, I, you're almost like saying I a a bunch of times. Like, so in some ways it's like (laughs) me, 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 me. But, and I guess I think, I, I guess I'm wondering as you're talking, like I'm wondering what we might be ignoring of the space between I and want. And so I I guess I keep saying like interstitial and I'm really interested in the spaces between what we have been taught are the focal points. So even like if, if we were to imagine like anxiety is this, but what are the spaces in between it and me? And I don't know what those are, but if I can some, I feel like if there's, if there's a way that I can imagine them as not being space, like, like space, imagining space is also moving, also filled with energy. Um, also like, like, so not, not empty, but 
then there's something else happening, right? There's something else between me and it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's actually the thing. And maybe it's my inability to imagine that or to access it that is creating what's on the other side of it. Like, cause sometimes I, I tell myself, like, you just need to get to the other side of this, like get to the other side of, of this moment. Like you can get to the other side of this. And in some ways with athletics, like with basketball, I, I just did because it was the space in between that was my body struggling or my body suffering that was taken out of my head. Like it was taken out of my control. Um, and that's what I mean by the ecstatic, I think, um, you know, it gets to the point where you don't have to tell yourself like one foot in front of the other, keep going like on the court anyway, but it's just happening. And it, there's a way that you're like, this, my body knows what to do. I've thought about this a lot. And there's an energy happening around me that I'm just in the middle of. And as long as I, I don't try to take control of it, it's going to move me. You know, it's like when you, when, when you, your body has done something incredible and you kind of look back and you're like, dang, like I didn't, like, how did I do that? You know? Um, and so I guess I'm thinking a little bit about that too, is like, there, there has to be more space than what we are imagining. And, and I guess maybe that's another way to think about this idea of threshold, but yeah, like, I guess there's, there's got to be something in between, right? Doesn't there? <laughs> I mean, it feels like there is, I just don't know what it is. <laughs> well, and like, is it, I mean, our anxiety, so so thinking about anxiety and desire, like they're both so far away. Like if I can like make myself remember that, I'm it's like, wait, I'm actually not in this. I'm 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 in the space before it. Like, and so like there's a way of like, and this is just like a this is kind of the way I'm doing everything lately, is like thinking backward from things, you know, because I feel like there's so much like talk about futurity and, you know, futurisms. And, and I've done that because it's been a word that has had a lot of like, you know, life currency for me, you know, the tomorrow, the future, like being able to exist. But, but there's also a way that I'm kind of coming back to that and thinking about what is happening, what's happening before the things I've been told are supposed to happen. And how can I, if anxiety is a very small thing that can become like this huge expanse, right? This, this desert in some ways, then there must be a space before I enter that space, right? So now you've got me thinking about that with a threshold. Like that's something I will walk away with trying to like, to physicalize or emotionalize the threshold before anxiety. I think about that all the time, in part because I feel like I spent a good chunk of my, I don't know, young young life trying to figure out where that thing, what, where that place was. Like, where do I go from being okay to being not okay? Because I often felt when I was in the middle of some big anxiety episode, in part because when I was younger, my anxiety was much less much more out of control than it is now. It, it, it ran over me all the time. And I would often find myself sort of in the middle of some kind of t terrible tornado of it and feel like, when was the moment when I should have known that this was going to happen? When was the moment, when, when could I have pinpointed, oh, wait, I need to ask for help or I need to just start doing the things that you do, right? When you're, when you're heading into some 
really tough spot. And I was constantly trying to back locate, like, where, when was I, when did this flip? Um, how can I, can I put my finger on it so that I can, and, but then again, that was also future oriented because I always wanted to do it so I could know, find it for next time. Um, and, and that kind of re-narrating or, or re-litigating or whatever, um, also just feels to me, dr- drove me in a lot of ways to writing because it feels circular. It's that like trying to recircle the moment, knowing that you will eventually be back at that moment and you want to see if you can re-enter it with a little bit more wisdom. Um, but often, f- and, and writing is, for me, essay is a way to do that. Um, but f- that little tip moment for anxiety, the threshold to anxiety, I find really elusive. I think it's hard to find. Or locate. What if it's not the crossing? Like, because we're thinking of it, we're thinking of it again in that motion, one to the other, right? Like, right. I'm thinking this it's moment linear. Equals that moment. And so, what if it is a plane? Like, and what if it doesn't exist any? Like, so that the space between the okay and the anxious. I'm like, this is like self therapy here. From yeah, we we fully moved. <laughs> just a conversation about our anxiety but that's okay I think that's great well I I mean I we can like drag it we're writers we can drag it we can you know it's an analogy for everything and I I do think it is because again like and I think this is why I return always to this like strangeness of what is touch and that it doesn't exist that in some ways there's there's a small room between what's happening right it's it's the repulsion of electromagnetic fields. So an entire field, two fields in between what we imagine as touch, you know, um, or then even to think that the, the hand, like the finger is not even itself. It's made of a bunch of atoms. So like that also have spaces in between. And so I guess I'm wondering like, what does it mean that we have and is there a way to do things differently or to, to imagine differently or practice living differently that we don't centralize everything? I don't know that the natural condition of life is a state of relief. Like, I think the natural condition of life, because it has to be, right? I mean, doesn't it have to be always prepared to replicate either in energy or in another life or in in action even you know like our refusal to say like space is not empty everything is in motion stillness is even moving like what does that mean like if we're always in a state of tension and chaos and that energy is always like moving maybe the problem is that I've tried to stay still inside of it you know what I mean so what if my anxiety is is the natural condition and it's everything else around it that is creating like trying to hold it still in a way that is is causing the the anxiety itself and you know even like I, I mean, we're moving toward that right like we're moving toward this world right now that some people have existed in but we're seeing it very differently we're seeing it manifested in language which is one of the ways that that we both work in language but we're seeing it, like I see it here in my desert, in my land. Um, I see it in the water. We're seeing it among our friends and communities. And it's, in some ways that, that might be a return 
to like a, a state, I think that is possibly the state of life. And it's a state that, that I think uh, like nationhood and empire have tried to hold still. And so we've been pulled away from what is wild. And then it's like, so really it's, it's these like controls and structures that are creating these kinds of, these kinds of energies that have reached their point, like they've reached their capacity. Again, maybe the threshold works backward. We're always thinking of the threshold again, at least I don't mean this as like a prescriptive statement, but I guess the way I'm perceiving thresholds or the way I feel like I've been kind of taught to think about them is that it's, it's to the next space for better or worse. But I guess I'm just wondering what is the return like? Like what, what is the, you know, like what is the return of anxiety? Not the other side of it that's relief, but is there a return of it that's happening at the same time that I just haven't been taught to, to perceive sensually because I'm so, I'm so primed for the relief of it. Mm. You know, you mean, do you mean a return of yourself sort of backward through the anxiety experience to whatever was before, or do you mean the return of anxiety? Like what if we were taught to think and feel backward? I mean, that, that's not, that doesn't sound very eloquent. Um, because again, like, and I don't mean backward, like in time, but I mean like backwards in, in energy. Right. And I think that's why we're so careless with language. Cause it's like, it's moving this way and language moving is often forward. like, yeah, it's like what I want. What, but if we're imagining it's happening across these planes and if my anxiety is happening on these planes, like how do I access another plane? And let it still happen. Like not imagine I have to shut it down or to even like constellate it and draw a connection, you know, and, and I know I keep returning to that, but I think that's what desire is. I think that's what pleasure is. I don't know that my anxiety is very different than my pleasure, except the way that I'm trying to make my brain control it in my body. I mean, I'm not a therapist, but that's my, that's my, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's like one of the ways I'm trying to like think through it. Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshavud of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar Strauss and Drew. I'm Jordan Kissner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jordan.kissner. We'll see you next week.